This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Uh, welcome uh, to Reimagine Law, uh, the podcast series where we seek to uh, uh, bring to life the breadth and diversity of careers that you can have within the legal sector and the incredible uh, and different entry points that you can uh, uh, have. Um, Today's uh, podcast is part of a small series that we are um, doing with CMS. Uh, CMS are a fantastic supporter of Reimagine Law, and we're very thankful for their uh, uh, support. Um, and the particular focus uh, for this podcast is part of looking at uh, uh, solicitor apprenticeships and really importantly and excitingly, the role of a supervisor uh, for uh, as part of solicitor apprenticeships. So, um, uh, we've got two fantastic contributors today. Uh, so Molly, who is a who is a supervisor, and Taya, who is a sister apprenticeship apprentice. You're going to hear from both of them uh, today. But we're going to start with Molly. So Molly, um, uh, what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is introduce yourself. Just tell us a bit about you uh, and, and your role, and then importantly, talk about what is the role of a supervisor uh, and uh, what's the kind of likely experience of a supervisor. So Molly, over to you. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, so I'm an associate in the CMS employment team in London. Um, I'm about five and a half years qualified, and I've been at CMS for, for five of those years. Um, it's a fantastic uh, firm, and I, I really enjoy my time here. Uh, Taya is my first uh, supervisee, um, and she's also the, the first solicitor apprentice that we've actually had in, in the employment team. Um, so it's been a, a learning experience for, for us all. Um, in terms of your question and what the role of a, a supervisor is, um, I guess the, the thing to understand is that it's quite different to the role of um, maybe a line manager or a teacher or a tutor. Um, it's You're not a funnel for the work of a solicitor apprentice. Um, not it, it will slightly depend on the team and the types of work that you do. But certainly in our experience, um, not, not all of Taya's work comes through me. In fact, not, not much of Taya's work comes through me. Um, it will come from the wider team and whoever kind of has the, uh, the, the types of work that she can get involved in. Um, so my role is more of a supportive role, um, both in terms of work and answering Taya's questions, pointing her to resources, things like that but also in terms of kind of well-being, pastoral support, that kind of thing. You're really there to be the, the kind of point of contact for the, the solicitor apprentice in the team. Um, with, with that and that setup, um, it's important to be conscious that you, you are not automatically aware of all the work that the solicitor apprentice is doing. Um, you won't necessarily have visibility of that if it's, if it's coming directly to them. Um, so it's really important that there's two-way communication between the solicitor apprentice and the supervisor um, so that you can kind of help them to manage their capacity. And also, given the, the setup of, a, uh, of an apprentice programme and the fact that they are studying at the same time as, as working, uh, it's really important to remind the team, um, the, the, the kind of wider team, not to overload the apprentice to respect their non-working days um, and the other demands they're going to have on their time. Um, you know, there is that uh, famous cliche that 
you know, a law firm is a very intense place to work and we have sleep pods and all of that. I mean, certainly that is not the setup or expectation or culture at CMS at all. But, you know, there may be times where you have deadlines or, you know, very intense periods and the, the solicitor apprentices well-being and other demands really need to be respected um, in, in those periods. Um, the, uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention on, on that um, and the, the experience of a supervisor is that as the apprenticeship scheme is relatively new, um, it's quite likely that a supervisor will have been through the traditional trainee route um, and, and been to uni and, and done, you know, how in my day was kind of the only option to, to become a solicitor. So they're going to be much less familiar with the programme, how it works, and, and so is the rest of the team, frankly. So one, one of the parts of your role as a supervisor is learning about the apprenticeship scheme from your apprentice and also, you know, um, the, the graduate team or whoever is coordinating that in the firm and, and then teaching the rest of your team about that because um, that education piece and, and kind of awareness is, is really important as well. Yeah, thanks, Molly. I, I think that's such an important point, isn't it? Is to, uh, 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 as a solicitor apprentice, not to assume that your supervisor will know exactly what a, a solicitor apprenticeship is all about. Um, so, uh, uh, um, yeah, I think that's that's a really important point to to flag. Um, looking at from a slightly different perspective, Molly, what do you you look for in your apprentice as a supervisor? So what are the things that you're looking for? I think the, the key point, and this is true for both solicitor apprentices and, and trainees, and, and frankly, many of the juniors we have in the team, is that you may not yet have the technical knowledge or the skills. Obviously, we're all developing that throughout our careers um, and, and we'll all be at different levels. Certainly a solicitor apprentice who's, who's coming straight in or is very early in their um, programme is going to you know, have quite limited amount of legal knowledge. And that's absolutely fine. And there is there is no expectation that that you will be able to kind of hit the ground running in terms of legal knowledge. Um, so the most crucial thing for a, for a solicitor apprentice to display is, is the, the right attitude, um, being keen to learn, being keen to get involved, being proactive in, in kind of asking the right questions, looking for work, things like that. And also, you know, being willing to ask questions that maybe exposes their, their lack of knowledge or, or experience, you know, that I know that can be can be daunting and people will often want to kind of fake it till they make it or, or whatever else, but that, that can be quite dangerous um, in, in a situation where, you know, we need to get things right and, and we need to be accountable to our clients. So it's, it's kind of being upfront and having, again, that two-way communication with your um supervisor yeah thanks molly yeah, i think that's a really good another really good point to 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 make um ne next question um and, and you mentioned earlier on that you know sister apprenticeships are still quite new to to the firm to to, to cms as they are in most firms you know it's still a fairly new thing sister apprenticeships um uh, so so what surprised you as a supervisor uh, about uh, uh, sister apprenticeships and, and and experience that you've had so as I say, um, I've not supervised 
anyone before. So, so uh, a lot of this would be true for supervising a trainee as well, I imagine. Um, but I think that the two key things that that kind of I maybe wasn't aware would be such factors were firstly the kind of the, the way you're positioned as a point of contact for the rest of the team. So often people will come to me to ask um, about Taya's uh, capacity or particularly the types of work she can get involved with. I think one of the difficulties that people have with the apprenticeship scheme is judging the level of um, the apprentices kind of abilities and the types of work they can get involved with people are conscious it may be slightly different to a trainee um, and and obviously it's going to differ by apprentice as well and and what their, their personal experiences and and kind of personal abilities so that those kinds of conversations I've had more of than than I maybe expected and I think the other thing is just the the benefits of it to my own personal development um, you know I've we all uh, develop our skills by by explaining and teaching. Um, and I think it's been a really good practice for me to kind of go back to basics and try and put myself into issues and think, what what would I have known or not known? And why do I do things the way I do them? Forcing me to kind of really think that through. Um, and also to see what what I find most useful in the way she presents information to me, because we've all, you know, we're all providing information to someone, whether it's the partner in the team or the external client. Um, so getting more visibility of, of what works and what doesn't um, through that relationship is, is really helpful to me. Thanks, Molly. Yeah, and so it's really been a two-way learning experience for, for you both, which I think is really, uh, 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 which, is, which is a great outcome, obviously. And final question for you, Molly. So, uh, uh, what advice would you give to a solicitor apprentice? So I think the, the key thing I would say is um, really keep an open mind when you go into the programme. Um, the the day to day work in in any area of law is often very different to what you might have expected, what you might have prior experience of from studying or even seeing it on, on television. Um, and, and the fantastic thing about the apprenticeship programme, even more so than a training contract, is it gives you a, a great breadth of experience across different teams and practice areas in a firm. Um, and you may be really surprised by what you actually enjoy in practice. Um, so, you know, even if you're put in a, a team or an area that you think is not going to be for you um, and that, that you think you're not going to um, enjoy, just really do keep, keep open to that um, because there, there may be aspects, even if overall you decide it's not for you, that, that you can really learn from. And at the very least, you know, it's an opportunity to build your network within a firm, which will stand you in very good stead for the rest of your career. Fantastic. Thanks, Molly. So um, you've mentioned a cliche before and another one, I guess, just listening to you there is that bit about you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, having that open mind um, uh, with the work you do, uh, uh, you never know what you will uh, uh, that, uh, say, what you will enjoy. So, Molly, thank you. Lots of really great insights um, uh, that, that you've shared there as a, a, a as a supervisor. So thank you. I'm going to turn to you now, Taya. Um, so, 
Um, two things I'd like you to do just to get kicked off there. One is obviously introduce yourself. So tell us a bit about you and then let us know that answer to that key question, which is why. So why did you decide to go down the, the Solicitor Apprenticeship route? Thank you, Simon. So, yep, um, I'm a second year Solicitor Apprentice at CMS. So I've currently been in our corporate transactions team and I'm now sitting in the employment team with Molly. Um, so I finished my A-levels just under two years ago now and came straight from school to doing the apprenticeship. And when I was in that A-level period, I was looking at all my different options and I knew that I wanted to study law. Uh, but my first choice at the time was actually to try and go to Oxford. So I was someone who was really set on getting into this sort of elite university. I thought it was the be all and end all when I was in school. Um, and like so many other people, I did not get in. I did not do well in my interview for that. And it made me rethink my options and sort of rethink university as a whole and whether I actually wanted to go or whether in actual fact, I just like the prestige and the idea of getting a degree from Oxford rather than spending three years studying full time. Um, I'm racking up a whole lot of debt, which university is now extremely expensive. <laughs> um, so when I was looking at alternatives to university, I came across the apprenticeship just sort of from Googling careers into law, really. Um, and for me at the time, I was kind of thinking, I can't believe more people don't know about this because to be able to do a programme where I get six years of industry experience straight out of school, I get my degree paid for, my qualification paid for, and almost a guaranteed job at the end seemed like a no-brainer. And for me personally, I knew I wanted to be a solicitor at the end of whatever study I did. So it was the obvious best route in my eyes. Thank you, Adhaya. And um, thank you for that honesty about your journey. Because uh, I think that's so, you know, it, it's so important that people hear that. Um, so uh, uh, thank you for for, uh, for sharing that uh, with us. Um, you've, you've, you know, you, you've talked about obviously your, your your time at school and and thought you had about going down the university route. So that brings us on to understanding a bit more about that transition uh, from education onto an apprenticeship and and what should an apprentice expect. Uh, uh, when it comes to that transition um, yeah so to be completely honest I didn't really know what to expect because I was still in the cohort where Covid was very much an issue so I didn't come and see the office before I joined so my first day in the office meeting the teams was everything was brand new to me I had no idea what to expect um, and I think in terms of first days it's the really little things that people who already work in a law firm or in an environment like this might not appreciate will be either really daunting or really confusing to somebody. So as little as every door has a security lock on it and you might not be able to navigate your way around. Um, everyone works open plans. So oftentimes you can hear people's phone calls. There's lots of little things that you might not realize somebody would be picking up on if they've never been in a professional or an office environment before. Um, but in terms of the actual programme and the apprenticeship, things that you might not expect would be the types of work that you'd have available to you. So I think, especially coming from school and when people say they want to go into law, 
speaking to a lot of students, a lot of the types of law I hear people want to do are criminal or human rights or family, which are all amazing areas. But for firms such as ours that do apprenticeships that are commercial or corporate firms, those just aren't areas of law we cover. So it's really something people need to look out for when they're applying to make sure that the type of law they want to do is something that they can do on the apprenticeship. Um, another thing to note is whilst our firm does do rotations, which I really, really enjoy being able to get a massive range of experience, some firms and particularly maybe smaller high street firms will do the same type of law for either the first four years or all six years of the apprenticeship. So being careful again or just taking note when you apply for different um, apprenticeships about the types of law you can be involved in and whether you want that breadth of experience or whether you'd be happy to go into a niche quite early on. Um, I think something else that's very different from school is, as Molly mentioned earlier, the shift in the relationship you have between the people who are sort of checking your work and supervising you. Because in school, there's a very strict regime and sort of every piece of work is thoroughly checked and you get thorough feedback on everything. Whereas in practice, you might not get feedback on a piece of work, but that doesn't mean it was either good or bad. It's just sometimes you might need to ask if you want anything more specific to work on. And also not all of your feedback will come directly from one person. Again, as Molly mentioned, you'll work across the team and with lots of different people. And I do think that's a really good thing because it means you can learn how different people's working styles are and sort of develop your own um, by cherry picking the parts of people's that you like. Um, the final thing that I think was a massive shock to the system coming into a professional working environment was the difference in hours. So anyone who's listening who is a student will probably do the hours of about nine till three or nine till four on a school day. And obviously the working day is at the shortest, probably nine to five or nine till six. Um, and so those first few weeks, maybe a few months can be a bit of a struggle, but you do get used to it quite quickly. So uh, Taya, next question for, from me is, um, what did you expect from your uh, uh, supervisor. In fact, I'm going to merge two questions together actually here. So what did you expect from your supervisor and, and, and how did you go about getting what you sort of wanted and needed from your supervisor? Thanks, Simon. So I think my expectation was that initially it was that maybe my supervisor would be the person that I got all of my work from um, and that it'd sort of be similar to the relationship I had with a teacher in school. But as I said, in reality, it's not really like that. And I think I found more so that the supervisor-supervisee relationship is a really good sounding board for when you're doing work for people across the team. If you want to check the way in which you've done something or maybe how long you've spent on something to see if it's sort of within the range that they'd be expecting you to work. Uh, and it's also been really good um, to have that pastoral support where I know I can talk to Molly about what's going on in my life as well as work and different things like that um, but I think the key thing to remember with what to expect from your supervisor is they may not have ever done the role before and again they may not know fully what the program is about or what you're expecting and so the key thing for getting what you want out of the relationship is really to have conversations about it and to have those like honest two-way conversations where you can set up the relationship in a way that works well for you so, I mean, my personal preference is to have slightly more contacts. So I guess in my previous supervisor, supervisee relationship, 
it was sort of infrequent contact on an as and when basis when I had questions, whereas Molly and I have set it up. So we have weekly check-ins where I let her know what I've worked on and who I've worked with in the week. Um, and she can sort of gather feedback on a rolling basis so that I always know where I can improve or what I could be doing or who I could be reaching out to. Uh, and for me personally, I think that's worked really, really well. I would say it's completely personal though. So some people may not feel they need a weekly check-in or that much support and so it is really something you can tailor but I think for me one of the main things I was looking for and I think I have found in this team which I've really really loved is the integration and the way that Molly has helped me um, sort of put myself out into the team one of the first things I did when I joined the team was send a team-wide email which was terrifying at the time but I got a lot of really lovely responses and it meant that people saw my name knew who I was and what the program was about uh, and from that I've continued to build relationships across the team thanks to Molly's application for me so that's been really great. Brilliant yeah thank you and yeah so it's, it's definitely about uh having the confidence to shape it in a way that's going to work best for you. And, and it, it's absolutely fine for it to be individualized. So what works for one person might work differently for, for another. So I think that's a really great message. Two final questions. So penultimate one, and you've touched on some of this a little bit already, but what's been different to what you had expected? I think other than the points I mentioned about sort of not all of my work coming from Molly directly, um, the fact that you do work with so many different members of the team and at completely different levels means the feedback you receive might be extensive and it might be automatic or it might be that you have to actively seek it out. Um, and depending on, again, how busy the person is or what the type of work is, it may not be that they think you need feedback on it. So if it's something that maybe they do all the time that they don't recognize might be the first time you've done something for you to actually point out, okay, this is the first time I've done it. It'd be really helpful if you could tell me, even if it's only tiny things, what I could improve on or maybe the best way to go about this task the next time. Uh, it really is helpful. But again, if you're not getting that automatically, I've always found that I've been able to ask for it. So it's, again, as you say, having the confidence to ask for that feedback, ask what you could improve on because it's the only way you'll be able to change sort of anything that needs changing. Um, but I think the other thing is you don't need to rely entirely on your supervisors for support. Uh, and in that, I mean, if it's a very specific, maybe applications related question or a drafting question, but you know one of the other juniors in the team might have done something similar, um, appreciating that supervisors are often more senior members of the team and so have very heavy workloads themselves. Uh, I've always found that I've been able to connect with the other trainees or the NQs in my team um, and ask them maybe all of the littler questions that I know they would have been in the same position asking, but they don't really seem sort of worthy of interrupting someone's busy day with. So the tiny things like how to format something and how style of things like that. Um, so really utilizing the other relationships that you can build in a team is important so that your supervisor relationship is still there. If maybe you don't get the answer that you needed or you still don't quite understand something. Um, but knowing that you have like a wider network as well as that specific supervisor is really helpful. Um, thanks, Terry. And I think that's such good advice in every form of life, actually, is to, is to draw on all kinds of support that's around you and be smart about where you get your support from. So think a little bit about 
you know, who might be best placed, who might have the time, you know, is it the best use of this person's time? So I think that's a really brilliant piece of advice. So thank you. And on the point of advice, I'm going to move to the last question now. And, and similarly to the question that I asked um, Molly, I'm going to ask you to finish up with fundamentally the same type of question, which is what advice would you give solicitor apprenticeships to get the most from their supervisor? I think the the main and maybe the only piece of advice you need in that regard is just be honest about what you want out of the relationship and have those conversations about how you'd like it to be run and the support you feel you need. Because as we both said, it may not be something that your supervisor knows, but all the supervisors that I've come across have been really willing to work the relationship how is best for you as the individual apprentice. So being clear about how you want it to work, being clear about any other targets or constraints you have. So bearing in mind that with the apprenticeship, you will have university deadlines, university check-ins, time off for exams, various different things. But as long as you make your supervisor aware of all of those things, then they can help to make sure the team is aware and that the work you're being allocated sort of fits around all those other commitments, which for us are equally as important as the work. Um, a tip that I've had from some of my fellow apprentices that they found to be really helpful with their supervisor is keeping running work logs of the different types of work they've done and who they've worked with in the team, as well as any feedback they've been given on that work, because I think it just helps to keep your supervisor in the loop about what you're doing and to be able to signpost to them maybe any types of work that you haven't yet done, but that you'd be interested in doing. Or also if you've done a task a lot of times, any improvements that you've made so that people are aware that you're really good at that task now, or maybe you need some more experience to get better at something. Um, but I think the final thing I'd say is when you're using your supervisor for asking those questions, or if you need support with anything, it's great to try and find the answer yourself. And obviously we're encouraged to do some research, ask around before you just ask the questions. But I think what Molly said is very true and that it's oftentimes better to not be scared to ask the question that you might feel like is a stupid one because it could save everyone involved a lot of time. And down the line, it's a lot less um, difficult to have answered that question than to maybe unpick work that's been done wrong for however many hours. So a lot of it's all based in sort of have the confidence to advocate for yourself. Thank you. That's a really nice message to end on about have the confidence to advocate for yourself, uh, Taya. So I think that's a really great point. And that, that point about uh, I'm a big believer that go try and find a solution for yourself. But if you can't and you think it's a stupid question, it's probably a really important question to ask. Um, so it's really important you have the confidence to to, uh, to to do that. So Molly, Taya, thank you so much. Masses of really great uh, uh, insight, honesty about the experience that, that you both have, but that, that I'm sure will be really helpful to um, solicitor apprentices who listen to this, aspiring solicitor apprenticeships who might be listening to this, and of course supervisors and others who might listen to this to, to work out to, uh, how to make the most of the relationship, because it's clear that you guys have done that really successfully. So thank you very much for everything that you have um, shared today. It's been really, really insightful. And so from all the team at Reimagine Law, um, thank you very much and uh, uh, enjoy the next podcast, everybody.